Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello. For the final episode of this season of Probably True, I spoke to the thoughtful and erudite Tom Wong, who's a writer, content designer, and generally a lovely human. I've got to put a content warning here, as this episode covers thoughts around suicide and general existential torment, so don't listen unless you're okay with hearing about those things, or you're okay with not being okay. You're listening to Probably True. Please be aware that this podcast may contain strong language and adult themes. It would be boring without them. So the first thing that I'll say is that for most of my life, I have struggled with the idea of existing. And I don't mean that I've thought a lot about killing myself, although I've certainly I've th- certainly thought about killing myself. It's more that for most of my life, I just wondered maybe... Maybe it'd be better if I didn't exist. Maybe that would be better. And that's just the framework for everything because it kind of explains why I've been thinking about these things more. I'm I'm kind of at the halfway point of what I assume is my life. And having now lived what seems half of it, I have been thinking a lot about how am I going to live the next half? Like what, what can I do differently to make the next half a little less chaotic and painful than the first half, Uh, which was quite good. Despite all that, it was quite good. So I'll start with this story. Uh, we were in a pub. I was out with some coworkers, and we were drunk because that's how it is. And uh, one of them, who I really like and is a very good friend, came up to me and said, "What's the uh, what's the gayest thing you've ever done?" And I said to him, um, "Probably had sex with a man," which I don't think is the answer he was expecting. I think that is the gayest thing you can do, though. It's an interesting thing to think about because he basically reacted the way that one might. And he said, oh, right. Okay, sure. And at the time, I hadn't been talking as much as I currently am, which is still not that much. What's enough? I don't know. It's all We're all trying to figure this out. Uh, it's a journey. I hadn't been talking a lot about uh, that aspect of myself. It was something that I kind of like hinted at when I talked to certain people. It's something that I was much more open about in my relationship, but it was still not something that I had been revealing to too many people. But I went away from that experience and I really thought that's, I don't know if that's the gayest thing I've ever done. I think the gayest thing I've ever done is want to be loved by a man and wanted to love a man. I wanted to feel like that was happening for me. And that I was experiencing it. Because you don't have to be gay to have sex with a man. I, I don't know. And this is where it all kind of falls down for me. And this is why I'm thinking about these things. Because I'm kind of at a point in my life where I, I realize that I have things that could be helpful for other people to hear. But I have no idea where it places me on any kind of spectrum. And I guess I'll unpack that a bit now. 
So the first person I can remember being in love with was a good friend of mine. This was like when I was nine. And like most nine-year-old boys, we used to spend time touching each other, which is a thing that not a lot of people talk about. It's very common, I think, for most people's first experience with another person's genitals for it to be of a person of the same sex. And so we would do this. But I remember distinctly feeling and wondering what it would be like if we kissed. Like, it's all well and good for me to be touching your penis and for you to be touching my penis. But what would happen if we kissed? And more so, what would happen if I kind of held your face in my hands? Like, I remember this feeling quite strongly. I also remember looking around and not seeing any evidence that that was a thing that was happening ever in all of humanity. Now, maybe there's good reasons that a nine-year-old boy shouldn't be seeing certain things, but I would counter that with the fact that I... By the time I was 10, I had seen Flashdance, which is a movie, amongst other things, about strippers. And I think I've been bombarded, definitely by the time I turned 13, with so much heteronormative sexuality that uh, I, didn't, I didn't really have a way to conclude that sentence. I've been bombarded with a lot of heteronormative sexuality, and I didn't see any evidence of anything that was different. Now, I grew up in, this, in the, you know, the 80s in Montreal. I have no idea if this was common, if it was representative. If I'd grown up somewhere else, it would have been different. All I know is I didn't see a lot of evidence of anything that was not the dominant narrative that I was experiencing. And so I kind of just tabled that as a thought. I just kind of put it somewhere inside of myself. And then the other thing that happened was when I turned 11, my family moved from Montreal to Vancouver. Montreal has some Chinese people. Vancouver has a lot of Chinese people. And the weird thing is that in Montreal, it never occurred to me that I was Chinese. And it wasn't until I got around other Chinese people that it was like, oh, you're Chinese. But the reason that I knew I was Chinese is because now I wasn't Chinese enough. I didn't speak Chinese. I didn't seem Chinese, whatever that would mean. And now I was experiencing, again, this feeling of being identified as something and not knowing what that meant. And also not seeing any evidence of what that could mean. One of the interesting things when I look at the 80s and popular culture is that if you were gay or if you were Asian, you were comedic relief. With very rare exceptions in popular culture, especially aimed at someone young, it was totally okay to super make fun of gay people and Asian people. There is a character in the movie, John Hughes movie, 16 Candles, whose defining characteristic is that his name is Long Duck Dong. Like that's actually the main thrust of him being an Asian character. That's what was happening around me. And I remember wondering, what does this mean? So in the same way that someone, you know, my friend once asked me, like, what's the gayest thing you've ever done? Another friend asked me, in what way are you Chinese? And this is, this is, this is he wasn't trying to be funny, like beyond the obvious. And I thought about this and I thought, I don't know. Other than the fact that people can visibly identify me as Chinese and that my last name is Wong, I don't know what part of me is Chinese. And those two kinds of things, needing to put myself on some kind of sexual spectrum and not knowing how to, and not feeling I was gay enough to be gay or straight enough to be straight, and not really understanding that you could be maybe neither, and then not really thinking I was Chinese and not really feeling like I was white. And obviously, again, not realizing, well, maybe you don't, you're not, you don't fit into either of those tidy little buckets that we've created for people. I kind of entered, you know, exited my teenage years really fucking confused. I just look back on who I was as a teenager 
And it's startling to me that I managed to form any kind of personality at all, because I think it was just always feeling like I wasn't enough of any of the things that I was supposed to be. And if you take those things and you add to them depression and anxiety, what you get is a person who's going to think a lot about what is the point of all this. There's something inherently human about wanting to belong. I think that's why we, you know, we both gravitate towards and also reject labels and we gravitate towards and also reject, reject groups. We're very complicated this way. It's very difficult. And I just kept seeing that there was almost nowhere that I felt like I really firmly fit. And I got to university and I had just been suppressing all of these feelings. I had tried everything I could. I had decided the best way to go about it was to be incredibly normative. So I would just like get a girlfriend and partly for family reasons and partly because I just thought this will be good. I just became really involved in evangelical Christianity. So I basically entered university with these two things as like my kind of pillars of, of identity. I'm really involved in evangelical Christianity, and I'm very much a person with a girlfriend. And as it probably won't surprise anyone, super suppressing parts of your identity, even if they're not formed or, or, or kind of chaotic, uh, is not a path to psychological stability. And basically what happened is I just spent most of university living two very distinct lives. One involves speaking in front of thousands of people and admonishing them to listen to the voice of Christ. And the other involved finding men that could be discreet and whom I could play out whatever it was I was trying to discover about myself. That's, that's a really complicated way of just saying sexy times. This was in a time before apps. This was in a time basically before cell phones. This was a time where you just needed to get out and about and involved and talking, which is, was very dangerous for me, at least in my head. And I didn't know how to navigate either place. Now, the interesting thing about all this is that I have been in therapy uh, several times in my life. I 100% think therapy is an amazing thing. I have never once in any therapy session discussed this part of my life. I have never gone into therapy at any point and thought, you know, there's lots of things I could talk about, but I think what I should talk about is that time in my life where I was attempting to balance evangelical Christianity and figuring out if I was gay. And I don't know why. It's like I've managed to balance them so perfectly that they've just separated in me and never seemed like they needed to be brought back together until it was the end of my second marriage. So again, if you're trying to, you know, follow a certain path, you really follow it. And I had determined that got married once, that didn't work out. Married again, this is the way, <laughs> this is the one. This is the one that's going to, you know, nail it for me. I'm not going to talk too much about my marriages because I don't think those are my stories to tell necessarily in their entirety. But I will what I will say is is that if you haven't quite figured out your shit and you are still basically just a combating or combative pieces of, of personality and identity and, and confusion, you're not going to discover it within a relationship with somebody else. That just doesn't happen. It's amazing. It's, it's, so, it's, so, it's so weird when I articulate it, not to have seen it uh, at the time. But at the end of my second marriage, I went through about six months where I was like, well, to hell with all of this. Maybe I should just go completely against everything that I've ever thought and done and I should just take all the drugs and I should do all the partying and I should be with all the people. And that will reveal to me some truth about myself. 
And uh, I mean, I'm not going to get <laughs> pretend that there's some amazing uh, revelation or epiphany at the end of this. It, that didn't work at all. And what instead happened is that my brain kind of tried to escape from my body. And I found myself walking through London fields, muttering to myself and having what was probably the beginning of a psychotic episode and just realizing and feeling it, feeling my mind kind of becoming unhinged and loose and going, oh shit, this is, this is happening. Now, I don't know what it means that I was able to recognize it. I only know that I could feel it and that I thought, if I don't do something a bit more constructive about all this crap, I might end up in some kind of hospital having damaged myself in some tangible way. And so that's what I did. I took a month off work, got really more involved in therapy. And I was able to, with a lot of support, uh, amazing family, lots of friends, I was able to kind of like piece together something that felt like me. But the interesting thing is, is that it wasn't until I was at this open mic night, it was an event put on by a friend and people uh, were getting up to talk that had prepared something. And then there was an open mic section and I hadn't prepared anything. And people were like, oh, you should talk. You should say something. You know, you're good at talking. You should just get up and say something. I was like, oh, okay. I haven't prepared anything. I have no idea what I talk about. And somehow my brain was like, talk about that thing in your life where Jesus and other men not named Jesus were really important to you. And I was like, that's a weird thing to do now, brain. <laughs> what will that accomplish? But the interesting thing that I realized was I had been getting up after having this kind of like reckoning with my brain. I'd been getting up at, at work and getting up at events and talking about mental health. And I had been you know, being really open about depression and anxiety and uh, feeling suicidal. But I had, again, never mentioned this, this, this tension in my life about identity and, and feeling like I didn't understand it, which felt a lot in hindsight, like getting up and being like, horses are cool, and then leaving out the whole part where I was like an Olympic equestrian rider. Like, you know, like it just, just, just like I had this whole thing about what would make this make a bit more sense. It's like Tom knows a lot about mental health. He talks really openly about it, but like completely leaving out the part that would make people go, oh, that's a thing. That part of mental health uh, where you try and tear your brain apart. So I got up at this event and I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like I lost my faith in God and I lost my faith in uh, finding a man to love me around the same time. And I could no longer believe in either and I just let them go. And then I said something like, whether your name is Jesus or your name is Steve, every man's been pretty disappointing to me or something like that. And I kind of went on in that manner for a while. And afterwards, people came up to me and they're like, oh, I really, I really appreciated what you had to say. And then they were saying like, where can I hear you talk more? Or are you a stand-up, do you stand-up comedy? And I was like, no, no. And then I thought, didn't you hear how hard that was for me to talk about and how painful those things were? And then I realized, oh, maybe they didn't because maybe finally talking about it broke through all of the thinking I had done about it that had kind of covered it over with a blanket. And it's like, don't look at this part of your life. Try and understand it without the core problem. You know, I used to think it, it would all be okay if I could just point my finger at something and go, that's who you are. And there, just belong in that space and in that group. And one of the reasons that I, I, I have never marched in pride isn't because I don't believe in it, far from it. It's more that I don't know what I'm marching under. I don't dislike being identified as a man. It's just that I don't know what that means for me. But when I try and think about that a lot and think, I don't know what that means for me. And therefore, what does it mean that I'm attracted to men? Because 
if I don't think I'm particularly a man and I'm attracted to men, what does that mean? And then it gets a bit messy and 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 silly, and I and I have to you know just make myself a cup of tea and go for a walk, because you you can't spend your whole life thinking that way. And I guess what I've realized now is I've lived long enough. I've managed not to kill myself long enough that the universe has expanded to kind of fill a spectrum wide enough that I feel I can see myself on it. And it's important that we talk about things being on a spectrum. But one of the things that that kind of hides is, is that some parts of the spectrum are a little harder to be on than other parts of the spectrum. And I think if if race is a spectrum, which I don't know, like being mixed race makes it really interesting to think about what does it mean to be a race? And feeling that my sexuality isn't defined by my attraction to one gender or the other or neither like non-binary attraction, it really makes it interesting to think about what does that mean? And I think so much of my life has been struggling with feeling like if I couldn't put myself on one part of some kind of spectrum that I just didn't belong anywhere. And I think in a way, I still feel that way. And the reason that I wanted to talk about it was I thought, well, I can't be the only person feeling this way. There must be people who see all of these things being you know, embraced and identified and, and, and celebrated and going, but what happens if you're in between? What if you're in the in-between space? And I think there is something about being mixed race that puts you in the in-between space, not embraced by either ethnicity and not clearly defined by either. And in the same way that I, I present as male, I'm in a heterosexual relationship, I have the privilege of not being identified necessarily by things that people would want to identify me with. But at the same time, I feel like I want to be. I want, I just want to be visible for who I am because I think it means that other people might look at me and go, yes, in that same kind of confusing way. It's why I get up at work and talk about mental health because someone might look at me and go, that guy is saying to me that he has social anxiety and it's very hard for him to be in front of people and he's getting up and he's talking to people. He made it. Or that guy is telling me that he has thought about killing himself his whole life and he, he's still alive, right? It, it, didn't, it didn't end him. It didn't kill him. In that same way, I think wanting to figure out what it means to feel the way that I do about uh, sexuality and to feel the way that I do about race and to feel the way I do about gender is be- is partly because I want anyone that's also feeling that way to feel. So he hasn't solved it. Okay, it's weird to say this, but now I guess this is where this is the this is a conclusion to all of this rambling. It's this: I've managed to live long enough, and the world has managed to change enough that I now see all of my inability to point a finger at any specific identifying characteristic of myself as a privilege. When I look in the mirror now, for the first time in probably like 40 years of being alive, I look in the mirror and I finally see what I think is me. Like I look like me with the way that I look physically and the person that I see you know, in that body. I feel like you don't know <laughs> what any of it means. You don't feel male at all, but you don't, it's not because you think you're female, maybe you're non-binary, but you don't know what that might mean for you. You are attracted to a wide variety of humanity, which how, how could that not be a privilege? That's a beautiful thing to find so many people attractive and to want to love them and be loved. And that's a privilege. That's where I get to sit in like reality is not having to sit in any kind of specific spot. Yeah, I guess.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Was there a was there some kind of critical moment was there something that was like all right i need to go and physically have a sexual experience with a man and and were you like no, no. trying to lean into the to the things that you were teaching right. or were you aware that what you were saying was not hollow but very at odds with who you were personally or right it was it 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 was simply the only way that i knew how to live at that moment was go to church go on missionary trips be very involved, be very visible. I was, and again, this is one other thing that I couldn't be. And I couldn't just, you know, be like, that's who I am. But I was told, I was told in like this gathering that God had selected me to be a voice of a generation. That was the kind of thing that was being said to me and that I was trying to wear. I was so desperate to believe everything. I wanted so much to it for it to be true and that I could just move in that space. I read all the books, all the philosophers, and nothing could break through my underlying certainty that it wasn't. And I don't I don't say that to undermine anyone's beliefs. It's just this is me. Like I'm talking about what I couldn't believe, but I was doing it because I wanted to. I I didn't have like some kind of like magic moment and it was very gentle. I you know, I I had been quietly <laughs> and secretively with with men, you know, since I was uh, well, I mean, since I was 9, I guess. But uh in a in a kind of like more uh involved way since I was around 14 and 15 and having what felt like very intense, very significant experiences, but it was, I think the private nature made it feel very separate from, every, I mean, literally separate from the rest of my life. I didn't tell my friends about it. It, it just felt like something that I couldn't share with anyone, which also you know, put a lot of pressure on it and a lot of weight to it. When I saw, I haven't looked at any, any uh, gay criticism about the movie at all, but when I saw Call Me By Your Name, which I've seen three times, once with my partner, I've cried like a baby every single time because it feels very very true to my experience of what what I wanted and what I was trying to experience and what I was looking for. And I didn't meet the right man. It, it, it didn't work out that way. I've definitely been in love with men. I think I've been loved by men. I want to think that that's what it was. And it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't happen. Like it, it, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of them have to do with thinking, what would it mean? I've never experienced the kind of heartache I have other than the way that I don't want to say a man broke my heart because that makes it sound like it was he like he literally did an action and then my heart shattered. Uh, but 
I have not felt the heartache and the pain of losing something as much as I did when uh, when a relationship I was having uh, ended, and that said a lot to me about who I am. It's like, oh right, that's part of you. You you feel this way, and that has to mean something. On some, I don't care where you want to point at what spectrum, it means something. <laughs> Surely, it's a truth that must influence the rest of your life, and I feel like it will. If nothing else, it's it's the first step is to be able to stand up and say, I don't know what I am, but here are some facts about me. Make up your mind as you will, and come talk to me about it. If uh, if you also feel this way or have felt this way before. I felt like I couldn't reveal my relationships with men to anyone else that was of any importance in my life. Uh, and I was doing that. And it turns out maybe largely all on my own, like my own sort of thinking about it. But when I was being very honest about my mental health a few years ago, my sister wrote to me and she said, uh, we love you very much. And just so you know, mom and dad want you to know that if a lot of this is just that you're gay, you can just tell us and ev- you know everything is fine. It's not a problem. She said it better than that. But the gist of it was, just tell us. <laughs> Don't want to die. <laughs> Don't go insane. If what you're struggling with is is the notion of you being gay, just tell us and let's let's live like, you know, the rest of our lives. And I wrote and I said, I I wish it was that simple, but it's not. That would that would actually be quite nice. If I was just like, you know what? Turns out I am completely gay. And I'm not. I I struggle with saying things like I am bisexual or I am queer because I feel like I'm not fitting into something that I should be fitting in. I look at, at people who who are celebrating their identity and who are fighting for their identity. And I feel sometimes like a coward because I can very happily sit in my kind of cisgendered heterosexual life and not be the worst for it. And just like, la la la. And I think part of it is that it's not true, actually. It's clearly been bad for me to to just be like, yes, I am a heterosexual man. Good day to you, sir. Because it's not true at all. And not finding a way to express that and what that means to me has been bad for me. And I think it wasn't until people came up to me and literally said, thank you for talking about being a Christian and being in love with men. Thank you for revealing these things about yourself because, and then, you know, obviously, because I too am, and it's like, right, good. I can't just wander about hiding behind the fact that I don't stereotypically look like anything. It's made me just wonder what what the hell is the point of being alive if you're not going to be alive, like, right? Like, if you're not just going to be like, yo, how about this? It's made me speak up in situations where I could have very easily not said anything before because it's like, we're all insert type of person here, free to say what we like. And it's like, well, actually, I'm no, that's not true. I am I am this type of person. I don't know exactly where on this I fall, but I can tell you specifics. And this is why I can say that I'm this type of person. And that's been very interesting. If you could go back and talk to younger Tom hmm. back then, what would you say? Um, I would say find find a way to talk about it. Don't try and just sit there with your thoughts and feelings and work it out on your own. That's a very hard way to live as a human. It's a hard way to human. Feelings and thoughts need airing out. And I am particularly blessed by a lot of people who will listen to me air it out. 
what would I say to younger Tom? I mean, I want to say what I'd say to him is find a way to tell the people that care about you what you're going through because they'll find a way to love you through it. Like I work with a lot of people half my age, literally half my age. And when I see the kind of bravery they're living their lives with, and it's just being who they are in the moment, expressing themselves the way they do, talking about things openly. It's like, oh man, that's so good. It's so good to watch you just, just be able to be who you feel you are in this moment in time without really needing to know, is this who I am going to be forever? I mean, none of us are who we're going to be forever. That'd be awful and boring. We're all going to change quite a bit and we go through our moments. So yeah, it's weird. That's such a weird question for me because I would want, I'd want to say to him, look, life's going to be very hard. It's going to be much harder if you try and do all of this internally. You should find a way to tell one side of your life about the other side in a way that makes, could maybe start to bring them a bit closer together. I would say, you know what? Have more guilt-free sex. That's what I would say to him. Guilty sex is fine. It can be quite exciting. But guilt-free sex is way better. It really is. It's so much better. (laughs) It's so much better when you realize, oh, it's okay to just, you know. Enjoy yourself. Yes. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy what's happening. Um, But it was a different time that I was living in. It was a different world. I would, I would you know, bravery comes with costs. And I, I always think about that. I think about people who refused to be silent in the moments when everything was pointing towards silence. And I guess that's another reason why I'm, you know, I have a voice. It's obvious to me that I can speak. I can get up in front of people despite anything that I might have internally. And people listen to what I say. Well, now maybe now it's time after all these years to be like, okay, it's time to say whatever it is I have to say. I mean, one of the things that's very interesting to me is is if I say, you know, I'm queer too. This is this is what like it's like. A, what does blank look like? It's like, well, it might look like me. It might act like me. It might talk like me. It might, you know, be in this shape and this sort of identity. And you know, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Like, where? How do you? How does that work into your very narrow, structured confines of you know what you think? you're 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 against right um and that's that's a thing that i've been thinking about quite a bit right like i it's it's definitely something that i want to explore more just what does any of these things what do any of these things mean when it comes to identity and how can we make it a more interesting way of existing for everyone really one of the reasons that now i can say i actually quite want to be alive is that i kind of sense that if there is any purpose to my life, it's that I've been handed, I've been dealt this hand and uh, it's kind of nonsense. Like someone's left the Joker in the deck. There's like how to play poker in there. What what to make of this? What to do with these things? And I think you, one thing you can do is try and live the most interesting life that you can. And for me, that right now at least means finding ways to get up and go, hi, I'm Tom. Blah. <laughs> now what? I mean, there's a Chinese curse uh, that says, may you live in interesting times. I think about it every day now because my God, times are very interesting. They're, they're excessively interesting, but they are very interesting. You know, like despite everything, now is the best time to be someone who is configured the way I am 
because 200 years ago, not a lot of places for such a person to go. And if I was in China, even fewer. So for me, that's what I have to think about. I'm like, yeah, things are quite weird. And some might say a little bad, but um, but they're definitely quite interesting. And uh, you know, you have to make what you what you will of that. I'm sure I speak for many people when I say I'm 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 glad you've survived this far. And <laughs> so I, am I. Yeah, good. I'm glad, and I hope you continue to do so. Yes, I've lived long enough to 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 you know make it to a place where where things make at least a little bit more sense. Yeah, I'm sure it meant this for a lot of people, but when the whole uh, "It Gets Better" campaign kicked off, and and I was I was looking at that, and I thought I have that kind of story, like I've lived that. So I should probably say that to somebody. <laughs> I, I can easily imagine people having come through all of the different places that I was in, even though I didn't feel Chinese, definitely part of Chinese culture, involved in Christianity, being you know defined in so many rigid ways and and feeling like, oh, how you know does this ever get better? Do I ever get out of this? Am I always going to be defined by these things that other people have put on me? And it's like... No, you will get to a place where you will find the, you know, the people. You'll find people. You'll find people. I know, I know what I would say if I went back. I would say it doesn't matter which direction you go in. Just go in a direction. Don't sit still in what you're feeling and thinking. Any change is good. And there's a kind of power in that. It's very hard to know if you're making the right choice the moment you make it. People who know that for certain, probably, I'm just going to say it, living a kind of boring life. If every time you make a decision, you're 100% certain it's going to go well, you're probably not making very risky decisions. But I think that it's more than that. It's just like you can get optional paralysis. You can never know where to start. It's really difficult to know of the many things that I'm struggling with, which, what, what would it matter if I do any of these things? Because it's all, there's everything's wrong. There's so much going on that's, that, 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 that's problematic. And it's like, it, then just pick one thing and just do that thing. It doesn't matter if it's the best thing. It doesn't matter if it's even a good thing. Just do a thing because um, I think that's when it really started to roll. Like I, if I waited until the perfect moment to do something or until everything was clear, I would never have done anything, um, and uh, and the first thing that I did was was just talk to people about what I was feeling and thinking, people that that were very close to me who I had not told certain things to, and it wasn't easy. It was really weird, um, and uh, out of out of understanding for them, I didn't all do it face to face because that can be quite a thing. It's quite a lot to get put on you all of a sudden. Um, so I wrote my dad a letter. Um, and he, my dad's, he's, he's, he's incredible. My dad's really, really incredible. Uh, but I wrote my dad a letter and he wrote back to me. I read your letter and then I read it again. And I can't say that I understand everything in it, but I will keep on reading it. I mean, what else can you ask for? That, that to me is, is what, actual, what understanding actually is. It's not, I get everything because that's a bit suspicious. It's more, I don't get it all, but I'm going to try. I hope you enjoyed listening to Tom as much as I did. If you want to get in touch with him or hear more from him, here's how. Uh, you can find me at supergranular.com. That's the word super and the word granular.com. 
And most of what I'm doing is there. I write a newsletter kind of unpacking some of these thoughts and thinking about ways to live. And there's also a link to my 100 favorite things about living in London, which if nothing else, reveal a lot about me. That's probably shouldn't, shouldn't be revealed, but that's what I've been doing anyway. So there we go. And that's it for season five. My thanks to Tom and all my guests. It's been an absolute pleasure having them on. I'm going to take a break for a couple of months now to relax and sleep and generally just recharge myself. I'll be back with season six in 2020. As always, if you've enjoyed or found value in my work, please consider supporting me and the show via Patreon. I'm currently working to make podcasts and writing my main source of income because I love talking and telling knob jokes. So if you can support me, please do. Or if you want to hire me or commission my skills for your own nefarious ends, you can do that as well. In the meantime, I'm going to play around with some ASMR stuff. So if me talking like this makes you go all tingly, stay tuned. There'll probably be some special episodes here and there as well, just to keep my hand in. I'm also working on a live show, a book, and all those other things that teenage YouTubers with far too much money seem to have. Thought it was about time I got some. I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone as well who's written in and said how much they enjoy the show and how much it means to them and how they've been affected by different things that I've talked about. It's really nice to hear from people when they say that because it kind of gives me a bit more of a feeling that I'm not just sitting in a cupboard talking to myself. Anyway, until we talk again, please remember that you are worthy, you are loved, and you are not alone. That was probably true. The repeatedly award-winning storytelling series created by me, Scott Flashheart, to remind all of my queer brothers and sisters that we are none of us alone. You can find transcripts of every episode, links and other things at probablytruepodcast.com. There's additional content and other lovely stuff available to subscribers at patreon.com forward slash probablytrue. And if you want to get in touch, just search Probably True Podcast on the socials. 